This is Joey from the So Wizard Podcast, and you are listening to the Geek World All-Stars Podcast Network. Welcome to the continued podcast adventures of Superhero Speak. But I think many of the people that love this character and that love superheroes in general have used these stories as inspiration to say, you know what? I'm going to do something good in the world. I'm going to make a difference like my hero when I was a kid. That is my fondest memory of it, because when, you, when you're doing comic books, you want them to affect people, right? You bring people to care, you want, you want to strike emotions, and I knew that that clone saga was striking a lot of emotions. Can you yep. imagine uh, Pulp Fiction starring Goofy and uh, Mickey Mouse? I can totally imagine that. <laughs> I'm sure somebody's written that one too. with cheese in France, Mickey. What? <laughs> <laughs> with cheese, Mickey. Yeah. I can totally See? I, I, would, I would watch the hell out of that movie. Yes, I gladly saw sacrifice that my, my progeny to view of a mighty Marvel beast. <laughs> <laughs> but Neil Adams is somewhere going, hmm, it's, uh, it's my time. Uh, <laughs> How do you measure success? Hey, everyone. You're listening to Superhero Speak, and I'm your host, Dave. And John. And Jenny. And this week, boys and girls, we have a very special guest with us. Uh, m- most people probably know him as uh, the writer of the Harley Quinn series. Um, of course, he's worked on many characters, Jonah Hex, Daredevil. Uh, he was part of Marvel Knights. Um, Supergirl. Super, well, Power Girl. I mean, we, we could go on and on, but uh, we'll let him talk about his career. <laughs> so without further ado, let me... Introduce the great Jimmy Palm. Oh, I'm going to say it wrong. Palmiati. Palmiati, yes. Yeah, Palmiati. That's it. You got it, man. Oh, okay. Yeah. See, I'm, I, it's funny. I'm, I'm bad with names, and half my family's Italian. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it's not an easy name to look at quickly, but if you if you slow it down, you can kind of nail it. Yeah. So, um, so we're, I'm going to start you off with a question that I always like to start off with. Okay. Have you always wanted to work in comics? I have actually. Um, it was either comics or movies, making movies, and uh, I chose I chose the field where you can actually tell stories by yourself, and you don't need eight thousand people working with you. <laughs> um, but uh, no, I always I, I I grew up with comics around me. I was at a, at least at age five or six, I was drawing my own and um spent half of my life uh, working on comics i i've always loved them i still buy them i have a you know i have a pull list at my comic store and you know uh i'm a diehard comic book fan nice yeah through and through yeah that's great to hear um because i have i have a few friends who who work at marvel who remain nameless and uh they don't go to their local shops anymore you know but are they, are they editors <laughs> Uh, no, no. One is, one is actually an artist. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> so uh, I, I don't know how you do that. I mean, how you know if if, if this is what you do for a living? Yes. You, you kind of want to stay on top of everything that's going on. My my pull list is so insane. I, you know, I'm, I'm glad I pay their rent every month. You know. <laughs> yeah, especially in these times. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. How how are you making out with all that? Like, I mean, your local shop must be closed, right? Uh, they open today. Oh, okay. Uh, I'm in Florida. Right. So they have they have a um, you can drive you can call up and get your new books and they they'll bring it to you in a box in a nice box and bagged and bring it to your car. 
Or you can come in the store. They only let it, the, the store is huge, okay? It's like a couple of thousand square feet. It's huge store. So I think they can let in like four or five people at a time into the store. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, so, th- but they've been dealing, they've been sending people their books, you know, mailing them. And um, while all this stuff was going on, they, they had their diehards. Uh, it's Emerald City Comics is the name of the store. It's in the, it's in Clearwater, Florida. Yes. Uh, um, but the store is gigantic. I mean, the store is as big as a supermarket. That's I, mm-hmm. I have no, no exaggeration. If you can't find the comic you're looking for here, you might as well just give up. You know, it's one of those super stores. Yeah, I'm, I'm familiar with the store. I've never been there, but I've definitely heard about it from other people. Um, yeah. yeah. So so you took the you know, you took a route that not a lot of people do in comics. You started out with art and then transitioned yeah. to writing. Um, is that something that you planned or kind of fell into? Like, how did that come about, really? Well, I, I okay, so I not you know I I actually when I first was trying to break in, I was trying to break in as an illustrator, you know, mm-hmm. drawing the comics, and I you know I kept getting a lot of weird reviews and hey, it's too photographic, it's not this, it's not that. Um, and then um, I had a buddy from high school I went to high school with. His name is Mark Texera. And um, he was drawing, uh, he was penciling and inking Ghost Rider and the Punisher book uh, each month. He was doing two books a month, which is a lot of work. Um, and we, we reconnected, and he asked me if I can help him. So I helped him ink, ink both books up at, in the Marvel offices. And when I was up there, uh, the editors would see me all the time working and hustling. And eventually I just started picking up work. You know, by myself, I started getting my own gigs. Uh, so then I was known for an anchor. And it wasn't until, like, I, I met with Joe Casada. I met him at a party, and we were talking about stuff, and we started working together, and then we formed Event Comics and put out Ash and Painkiller Jane. Hmm. And we started writing those books. But, we, you know, I, I mean, you go, I go back and read them, and, I, you know, I, I'm like, oh, my God, I, I, I cringe. But they still have... A, a real crazy energy to them, you know? Right. And I realized that that's the comic fan, right? I'm getting a chance to write my own comic. Um, and then over the years, I, you know, I was, I, when Marvel Knights, Joe and I formed Marvel Knights, we got that gig with Marvel uh, editing books, and I was also inking two of them at the same time. I was inking uh, Punisher and Daredevil, um, but I was also editing all four books and working with Kevin Smith and Joe and all these guys. Uh, Garth Ennis and Steve Dillon and those guys. And uh, when I was doing that, I was like, okay, I, I even won an Eisner for editor during that time. Only Eisner I've ever been, ever won, actually, was for editing. Um, and and then, uh, you know, I left I left Marvel Knights because we, when we took the Marvel Knights gig, Marvel was in Chapter 11. Right. And hmm. when we left, they they were doing great. And I, I just figured, I, you know, Joe stayed. Joe became great editor-in-chief and did his own thing. I really didn't want to work for any corporation, to be honest with you. So I left there, and I said, well, let me try my hand at writing. And I, my first bunch of gigs was everything that was getting canceled. You know, they were like, oh, there's two issues. There's four issues of Superboy left. Why don't you, why don't you write that? And actually, I, I got a, a year's worth of Deadpool in. You know, I wrote uh, a bunch of Deadpool. I actually wrote the issues with the first appearance of Deadpool and Punisher together. You know, those yes. two issues. Um, you know, so I had a, I had a nice little run there, and then I just started picking up 
odd things. You know, they uh, created, I did a couple of things for Wildstorm, like Resistance and 21 Down and Twilight Experiment, stuff that nobody really read or it had a very small audience. And then I just started then, uh, actually, when Dan DeDio was editor at, uh, at DC, I, I asked him probably 40 times if I could write Jonah Hex. And uh, eventually he said, sure, why not? And um, he gave in. And, and pestering does pay off. And, um, you know, and from there I was just writing all the time. But I, I've never, you know, I've never, writers hate to hear this, but I've never really t- taken any writing classes or anything until just a couple of years ago I took screenwriting classes. But that's the only formal writing I've ever had. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've always had an instinctual storyteller's sensibilities. And I did grow up with my dad and all his brothers every Sunday telling war stories. And you know, I was a good listener. And um, part of writing is actually going out and exploring and listening and observing. So uh, I feel like that. I, look, I'll never be like, I'll never be like one of those guys that wins awards and all this kind of stuff. But I do write the comics like I like to read them. You know, if that makes any sense, I write them the kind of comics I like, right. which is probably, uh, you know, a little violent, a lot sexy, fun and crazy. And, you know, I like those moments, you know. And uh, so, yeah, so I've managed to make a, a career out of it. And I'm happy. Nobody found me out yet until this <laughs> interview. <laughs> I, I, I'd imagine it'd be very hard to write comics that you hated. Uh, well, I had to do that a couple of times in my career. I was not a fan of the Countdown series, and they made me a writer on it, and uh, me and Justin Gray, and we tried we tried to quit a couple of times, and they said, "Well, you committed," and I, you know, I, we just had little arguments because I was I felt like the you know I felt like the story was going nowhere. I was kind of I I'm very very aware of how much a comic costs, how much somebody has to spend for it, and what I'm going to put in the book. Meaning I don't like, you know, I, when I do my comics, I make sure there's a lot for you to read. There's a lot of story. It's not something you read in a minute and then toss away. You know, I like, if I'm going to spend $2 or $3 or $4, I want to make sure I got my money's worth. So when I was doing Countdown, I just felt like, it was a story that was stretched out to fit a weekly format. And I just felt like, Hmm, this isn't for me. Um, and I did it, you know, I, I did the gig. I mean, it paid some bills, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, once in a while you run into a gig like that, and you're like, Hmm, it's not for me. And there's guys that live for that. You know, they love the crossover with a thousand characters. I can't stand it because you never have a time to fully flush out things, you know? Uh, and, um, and again, it was something I was working under other writers, and uh, we, I, you know, I just have different opinions of the way things should go. They'll never give me Batman because I'm more interested in Bruce Wayne and the women he hires. You know, <laughs> I, I'm that guy. You know, so I, you know, there's certain things that I, there's certain I don't fit into all the square, the square holes so much. You know, my my peg is shaped a little different, but it's probably why. Uh, my work works on like something like Jonah Hex or Power Girl or Harley, right? Because it's it's a little bit to the right of things or to the left of things. It's not the it's not the big book everybody's expecting, um, and that gives me a lot of freedom. When people aren't looking, I get away with a lot more in my writing. Well, I, actually, the thing about you know Bruce Wayne and the woman he hires that that sound 
I mean, that's virgin territory, right? Who who else has covered that? <laughs> that might right. actually be it's, a really interesting I, story. Yeah, I mean, it's just you know, and 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 I mean, that's just one example. You know, I had one with soup. I pitched a Superman story where Lois Lane gets kidnapped, and um, the villain, you know, makes it so Superman can never find her, and he <laughs> and he starts losing his mind. You know, he like Clark and Superman start they they just can't deal with their day-to-day stuff because they're so obsessed with finding Lois and the villain doesn't do anything <laughs> you know and Superman starts losing his shit you know and he's he's just Clark Kent can't even wait online to make a Xerox because he's so anxious because he knows Lois is out there you know and maybe in trouble and you know so I was doing all this psychological stuff because I think I've read so many Superman comics I was like okay here's something they never do with Superman you know they mess with his brain for a while, you know. Um, right. But again, that's you know, that's like the 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 uh, the the point of view. Every every writer has a point of view. If, you, if each of you guys, if Dave, John, and JD, right, you guys sat there and you wrote your what you would think is a good Batman story. Believe me, they'd be completely different from each other. Right. Oh yeah. You know, and that is the fun of also getting rid of a regular writer and throwing somebody else on once in a while. <laughs> you know, see, we, you know. Anyway, so you said you you just only recently took writing courses. Did you say was it script writing or just yeah, screen screenwriting? Well, screenwriting. so I, I did some I did some screenwriting in in uh, Painkiller Jane was it? Yeah, well, it was actually I, I wrote a thing called Dead Space Downfall, the Dead Space movie, animated movie, um, and that was one of my first screenplays that got sold, and they made it into an animated movie, and I've I've actually sold a lot of screenplays. But I, I, at one point I was like, I really should go to school for this, even though I'm, even though I'm making money doing it. Um, so I went and took like, you know, adult classes and, and, uh, just to format, just to learn formatting a little better. I, ha- I always had a little, little problem with the formatting on a screenplay because I was so used to writing, uh, a comic script, which is a lot more descriptive than a screenplay. You know, there's little, there's different, there's different cues in each. Um, so that was, but that was the only formal writing I've ever had, like formal classes I've ever had. So, you know. Do you feel like that helped your writing, like taking some actual formal courses in it, or do you think I, it was I, just like you learned to just, you know, um, to step stuff up a little bit, or do you feel like it just helped polish? I, I'll tell you, it, it helped polish a little bit, but it also what it did, did is uh, make me realize how a lot of people don't have ideas all the time. Like I have ideas all the time, and. I realize a lot of writing is actually a lot. You have to do a lot of living. Uh, you know, my wife and I, Amanda and I travel, you know, eight times a year and we, we go all over, all over the planet and we try new things and we look up when we're in, we're visiting a town, we look up the history of the town and we research things. And I realize that, you know, part of writing, the big part of writing is having that really inquisitive brain, uh, that you want to look into things and also experience like, Taking chances and going, th- doing things you would normally never do, uh, is all part of your writing skills, which is something, you know, I, I always say falling in love, getting your heart broken, whatever, it really helps your writing. Uh, hmm. even if it, even if it sucks that you're going through it, I think having, it teaches you a, a certain kind of empathy, um, where you put yourself in a place of somebody else, and that really helps writing, uh, helps your writing skills. 
That's actually a, a great point. I never thought of it that way, but it makes a lot of sense. Um, well, you need experience for writing. So, well, yeah. yeah. I mean, are you guys writing? Any of you guys? Uh, oh, JD. Oh, oh, well, I'm aspiring, but JD is like a master. Oh, okay. Well, he, I would he, say that. He does have a few books published, though. JD, you, JD, you really can't call yourself a master, but it's okay no. if they call you a master. <laughs> I, yeah, I would yeah. never if do that. Dave and John sit around and call you master all day. That's awesome. <laughs> any, 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 t- any time you ask somebody, so have you have you wrote any books lately? He said, yeah, three last month. There you go. I'm sorry. It just. <laughs> yeah, man. Congratulations. That's awesome. Thanks. Appreciate that. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, so you you know you mentioned living and you mentioned your wife. Um, you actually work with your wife on Harley Quinn, correct? Yes. How yeah, is how is that that relationship with working with your wife like that? It is fun because we'll we'll like so we'll go out to dinner or we'll go down to the beach or something and we'll talk about what do we got to do next issue with some ideas and we throw some ideas around and then we try to one up each other. <laughs> so, so I say, you know, why don't we do this? And she's like, well, that's great. But what if we take it here? And then nobody. And, and Harley was actually a perfect character for that, because when we wrote Harley, it was always about whatever you expect that she's going to do. She's going to do something different. She she also manages to put on the brakes in the middle of things, you know, like all of a sudden she's getting chased. And then all of a sudden there's something shiny and she'll go that direction instead. And uh we managed to put a lot of that in the book, the, a lot of our humor. Plus, Amanda and I both grew up loving Chuck Jones' uh, Bugs Bunny mm-hmm. cartoons, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So if you really want to if you really want to do a deep dive when you read our Harley books, just imagine Harley as Bugs Bunny, and a lot of it <laughs> will make sense. That does make sense when you say that. <laughs> um, and then when you, when you took over Harley, you made a lot of changes to the character that you know, yeah. are recognized as Harley Quinn now. Was was there resistance to that at first? No. Actually, when they gave us Harley, they didn't expect it to do very well. They expected okay. it to come out for maybe a year and eventually get canceled because the books were just not selling. The Harley series got canceled before it. Um, and Dan gave us, Amanda and I, the book, and we came back with a list of things we wanted to do, and we told them, you know, if she stays in Gotham, it becomes another Batman spinoff book. So can we take her out of Gotham and put her in Brooklyn? And then Amanda reworked the costume because she Amanda said, look, nobody wants to wear those. those um, Skin tight. Well, the thing around the neck, she had that like frilly thing around the neck like uh, Queen Elizabeth had. Um, yep. I don't even think you know, and, yeah, and, and, and Amanda hated them. I mean, those back then, those were used to cover up, you know, skin problems. Those were, you know, because royalty, you know, people were very, had problems back then. But anyway, she, she said, I want to redesign the costume. And then she said to me, you know, she's almost wearing like a rollerblader outfit, like a roller skating, uh, a skating girl would wear, you know, in a roller derby. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's a cool idea. We can work that into it. And the last thing we hit, Dan, is we said, I said, I can't write a book where she's an abusive relationship with an asshole, the Joker. Um, so we're going to take that away. We're going to, we're going to have her step out from him and do her own thing. And I said, you know, and we're going to have her leave Gotham in the first issue. And then, uh, we were in San Diego, right, right when we were starting the book, we were in San Diego and this is, this will sound crazy to you guys, but it's kind of funny. Um, I, I had a dream 
And I had a dream where I did a Harley comic where it was like 18 or 20 different artists doing the same book. And we had breakfast with Dan Deer that morning in the, in the high, I think in the Hyatt or one of the hotels. And I said, listen, I had a, I had an idea. Can we do a Harley zero book where a different artist draws every page? And he's like, why? And I'm like, well, I got this idea where Harley wants to try out the artist for her book. Like she's going to select the artist for a book. Hmm. And he said to me, if you can get today, if you can get 18 artists to sign up for this book today, I'll let you do the zero book. Wow. So, so Amanda and I went in with a list, with a chart of, well, actually went in with a piece of paper and we walked through San Diego Comic Con up to each artist and asked them if they would do a page. And, and, and we signed up each one to do a page. So we, that's why we have Adam Hughes. That's why we have mm-hmm. Bruce Tim was at a table next to him. We just walked down the line of Artist Alley and signed people up. And then I counted and I said, we got it. And <laughs> went, we went back to Dan and Dan's like, uh, okay, if you can, he goes, <laughs> he goes, but you got to figure out a story. And I said, don't worry. We got the story. We just, we, we'll, we'll manage this. I'll, you know, my editing skills, I can handle getting pages from all these people. And, uh, yeah, and that's how, ex- and that's how, um, you know, Harley Zero came about. And it was actually a monster. You know, the, the book did really well and nobody thought it was going to do that well. And then, you know, and then a couple of years into the book, a year and a half into the book, all of a sudden it's outselling the JLA and nobody knows why. And I'm sure it was pissing off people because the book was just crazy. Right. Uh, <laughs> But it was fun. We had Chad Harden and John Timms and we had, we had just and uh, uh, Mike, uh, Michael Lindsner and uh, we just had great people working with us. And it was synchronicity after that and for, for, for almost five years of it. So you mentioned that you wrote Deadpool kind of uh, in one of its more downtimes. Did you take some influence from Deadpool and put it into Harley Quinn when you guys took that book over? No, no. OK, no. Uh, no, because Deadpool is a completely different character. I know everybody compares them and says they're the same, but they actually are, are different. Their motivations are different. Harley's got a whole different thing going on. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I, if, they, if they ever did Harley and Deadpool as a team-up book and didn't ask Amanda and I, we'd probably go out to L.A. and with a baseball bat. <laughs> but, uh, but they're two different characters. You know, Deadpool – has this sense of humor and he's throwing it at everybody else, but he's, you know, but he's still on a miss man on a mission. Harley has like, you know, multiple personalities. Uh, she's easily distracted. And, um, and I also think as crazy as Harley got, sometimes when you have, you know, Deadpool with Abe Lincoln on the cover, you're like, okay, that's, that's gone a little, you know, it's <laughs> my, uh, you know, that's gone a wild. They're both like humor characters. You can have a lot of humor, but and dark humor, violent humor. Um, but I see them differently. Like writing them, if I was to write a book with both of them, they would hate each other because she would drive him crazy and he would drive her crazy. I could see that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So so uh, so they're, they're different, and, you know, and they're alike in the fact that they'll do stuff that whatever's in their focus, you know, they they whatever their lens, they see the world through their own lens. Right. And that's what they have in common. Right. And everyone else has to deal with the aftermath of each character. That's what the books are all about. So you've always worked. It seems like you've always kind of worked with a partner, like between Joe Quesada and Justin Gray and now with your wife. Do you yeah. feel like you just bounce better off of having a partner? Well, I do. I do write a lot of stuff by myself. But when I have a partner, 
um, it's sort of, I have to up my game a little bit. And I, I like, I mean, so Justin, Justin was great because Justin, like where I was more of the soap opera guy, Justin was more of the science and, you know, he loved the, the, the reality of stuff and the facts of things. And so that was a cool partnership. When I worked with Joe, we just basically were, we'd sit in the bar and work, you know, we just drink and ramble and write it down. And that was fun. And with Amanda, you know, like I said, we try to top each other. We try to out crazy each other. I mean, look, Amanda's the one that, you know, told Danny, she said, you know, no woman would wear the same outfit all the time. So I'm going to put a different outfit on Harley every chance I get, you know, and that that made a lot of cosplayer people really happy. That, <laughs> you know. um, for, forever, forever. Yeah. I mean. Honestly, if you just have black and red somewhere with a diamond, and even with the Birds of Prey movie, you know, they take it a step further, and, you know, Harley could wear anything, um, as long as Harley's, it's still Harley. You know, yeah, there's still, there's still a look, even though there's so many different ways to cosplayer, there's still a look that immediately screams, that's Harley Quinn. Yep. And you can't, you know, and let's be honest, if you do it with Batman, you can do a lot of different looks, and all of a sudden it looks like ten different characters. You know, it looks like other characters, so... Harley's just one of those one of those characters that look Amanda's idea was brilliant, um, you know. But she was also doing a Bugs Bunny, meaning if she was in a doctor's office, she would wear a nurse's outfit, a Harley, right. a Harley nurse's outfit. You know, mm-hmm. it's a, it's a very Bugs Bunny thing. And uh, <laughs> like I said, when you go back and read the books, you'll start laughing because there's a, she's also an instigator, right? Oh, you yeah. know, and, malicious and, um, Yeah, so I mean that's. Look, we grew up with a heavy dose of those Looney Tunes, so it's really hard to shake them, you know. So so speaking of the Birds of Prey movie, obviously yeah. they took a lot of cues uh, from your version of Harley uh, for that movie. Um, were you guys uh, consulted at all? Uh, no, absolutely not. Um they used our books like crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, Margo had Margo and the, uh, uh, was it Christina is the, the writer on it? I, I'm, I'm blanking for a second here. I'm sorry. Who wrote the, who wrote the movie? Do you guys remember? Uh, uh not uh, off the top of my head. Um, oh, wait, I'll look it up. Stand by. <laughs> okay. I think it's, uh, yeah, I think it's, you know, I, I'm, I'm just, it's like a brain fart right now for me because, uh, well, we've yeah. all got coronavirus on our minds, so. Yeah, that's true. You can blame you can blame even if that's not the reason you can blame it on that today. Christina Hudson. Yeah, Christina and Christina, who's she's she's wonderful. And um, so Christina and Margot were and Kathy actually were like big fans of the comic. They read the comic. You see scenes from the comic in the movie. Um, we would have loved if sure if they. Uh, called up Amanda and I and got us as consultants. It was nice that they, they we were on the set for the fight scene towards the end. We were on the set for that. Okay. Oh, wow. Um and we got to go to the premiere. But, you know, we we would have loved to be included, but you know, that's not how movies work. They you know, um most of the time. The comic people are sort of a little bit of an afterthought, if you guys haven't noticed this by now. Sure. Well, in, in DC, right? I mean, Marvel's a little bit better about that. I think. Yeah, a little bit. Not always. I mean, you know, but I mean, uh, you know, but uh, I, I definitely, there's a lot of Marvel movies I, they could have put a thank you to me on, 
uh, yeah. that he didn't. But at yeah. least at least with Birds of Prey, they, they at least gave Amanda and I a shout out at the end, so that was nice. Um, you know, but these are these are again why I love comics, right? And comics, it's like five people working on it. In a movie, I think I think Birds of Prey probably had like seven hundred people working on it. You know, um, and then you have a studio, and then you have people that have the money saying cut that out and cut this out. I mean, you look at Suicide Squad, the first movie, right? It's been it was cut up. You know, I heard the director say there were things that didn't make it and all that kind of stuff. So. Movies are tough, man. Movies are tough. It's a miracle they, when they come together. Um, but comics are easy. I love comics. <laughs> so, so I have to say something here. Given your wife's directive that a, wom- a woman would never wear the same outfit all the time, mm-hmm. uh, one of the things that we talked about when we reviewed the movie was the scene where before the, the big end fight, they all changed their clothes. And I was like, that just felt was so weird. But now, given your wife's point of view, I think it makes a lot more sense now. Well, it's funny how it, it took you all the way to the end of the film to find something that makes you feel weird. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say I didn't say that. I just said that scene okay. in particular. Because the, the movie is like uh, the movie is like a um, well, okay, it is a it is a definite departure from a DC movie. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, for, as far as format, as far as storytelling, the idea that somebody's narrating and then going back and forth in time, you know, it, it almost it, it almost was like a, a comic book Tarantino movie in a weird way, because it kept mm-hmm. jumping back and forth and doing all this weird stuff in the middle. And um, I like I said, I when I when we went to the we went to the premiere, I was like, I didn't know what to expect because I was enjoying the trailers. And look, I like the movie. But it was definitely its own thing. Like, it didn't feel like a DC movie. To me, it just felt like its own weird universe and its own weird thing. And, and I was okay with that, you know? Because um, I've seen too many superhero movies where, honestly, I sit there and I'm like, yeah, here comes, all right, we're going to have the big battle with the lightning hand guy at the end. And, you know. Um, and the sky beam. I wanted to see something different with this, and I definitely did. I... Personally, you know, it's funny because when we were, um, we got offered this Black Label book, or Harley Quinn and the Birds of Prey, right? That's the one that's out now. Amanda and I uh, work, issue two comes out, and we're working on issue three right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I insisted that the title of the book was Harley Quinn and the Birds of Prey. So that's the name of our book. Because... To me, I felt like, well, Harley's a star, and then the Birds of Prey are just gonna, you know, gonna be the secondary characters. Right. And when they went with the title, the Birds of Prey, with all this stuff, I was like, okay, I get that, but I don't know if that's the best way of selling it, you know, mm-hmm. especially since everybody loves Harley. Um, but they they made choices and they stuck by him, and I I I, I got to be honest with you, I, did, I it was all great for me. Me and Amanda was sitting there laughing, I you know. When Harley Quinn throws up in a nightclub, we were in the pocketbook, the girl's pocketbook. I was like, okay, that's the first time I'm ever, and last time I'm ever going to see a DC character puke in somebody's pocketbook. <laughs> you know? like we, we were laughing out loud, you know, and, and, and there's some vicious stuff in that movie. There's some fight scene stuff that's just like, whoa, and it's violent. And I, and I realized when I was watching it, I'm like, you know, it's, it's got this kinetic, weird energy to it that it's not worrying about 
the basic tropes of all the superhero stuff. It's actually just taking its own vision and throwing craziness in it. And I, I kind of enjoyed it for the madness of it. Um, but I understand how very formal comic book people would be like, I don't know about that movie. You know, it's doing this and that. And I don't like, you know, I had my friends that wouldn't even go see it because they're like, oh, I heard it's this and I heard it's that. And I said, you know, and I said, well, you know, and I heard it's just all girls talking. There's no action in it. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm like, watch the trailer (laughs) or go see the movie. It's pretty, it has a lot of action and it's pretty crazy. Um, so it did its own thing and I respected it and I love what Kathy was trying to do. And Christina and, 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 uh, and, uh, Margot, you know, had hands in writing it. And, and I just thought it was fun. I, you know, personally, me, I would have done a Harley Quinn film next, right? But, right. but I get, but I get what Margot was in that space of like, she wants to do a girl gang thing, you know? And, mm-hmm. you know, if I controlled, uh, Warner Brothers, I would have said, well, then make the gang of Harleys, Harley Quinn and the gang of Harleys before, grabbing a bunch of other characters. Because the problem with anything where you introduce a lot of characters is you have to spend time introducing them. And right. if, people, if people don't look, the JLA movie, everybody pretty much knows the main characters already. But you go into Birds of Prey, I mean, my neighbors have no idea who any of those characters are. All they know is Harley Quinn. You know? So it's kind of it's kind of a tough thing, but... Um, but it did what it did. I mean, you know, the people that loved it really loved it. The people who didn't like it, whatever. And the people who never saw it, they'll wind up seeing it somewhere down the line. Um, I don't think it was made 100% for comic book people. I think it was made, uh, it was one of those things where I think the director and the writers were making it for themselves and having a great time doing it, you know? Right. Uh, because you don't do anything that insane and wild uh, and have money on the brain. I think you do that because you're excited to do it, you know. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's my that's my uh, opinion of it. I look, I I've seen it twice and I love it, and I'll see it a third time. And I love it because I spent five years with that character, and Margot is is Harley Quinn. She is amazing as that character. So, actually, though, I do, I do have one follow up question. So you saw sure. it, you saw the movie obviously at the premiere with a with a crowd. Uh-huh. Um, and of course, a lot of people didn't get to the theater to see it, and it's kind of did find a second life a little bit on video on demand. They released it early because of the the pandemic. Right. Um, do you think the movie is better experienced with a crowd, or can you you have the same enjoyment, you know, watching it at home? Well, I mean, so the movie did two hundred million in theaters. Mm-hmm. Okay. And and then on demand it made a, a, another chunk of change. Um, and it's actually the, the the video is doing really well. The the uh, DVD on it. Right. Well. So there is a, there's audiences there. Okay. I just think I think when it was in I, I think um, watching it with a crowd was fun. Like the premiere the premiere crowd of course was psyched. Um, and the premiere movie when i saw it in the premiere it was definitely it was a little different the movie had one scene in it that i that i was kind of happy they cut out because it was so violent i i i actually flinched oh um i couldn't even look at it i was like oh that's too much and then we saw it 
in the States, and because that was in London. And then we saw it in the United States, and we saw it with a packed house. And the packed house was roaring laughing, and it was, you know, it was <laughs> it was a pretty amped up crowd. I, I will say it was mostly women and and uh, and uh, couples in the theater. Right. Um, but I think there is, I, I don't know if you guys got, you guys saw it once? Do you, you saw yeah. it? Yeah. Okay. There's a lot of information in that movie. Right. There's a lot of, there's a lot of things going on. And I didn't catch some of it until the second time I saw it. And I gotta be honest with you, I, I missed a lot the first time I saw it because I was looking at structure and I was looking at all these different things. And I guess because I was like hypercritical in my head, you know, like, what are they going to do with Harley? And the second time I saw it, I relaxed and just, okay, I knew what was going to happen. So I let it flow. And I liked it better the second time because I was laughing out loud at stuff that I didn't catch the first time. There's like little nuances in scenes that are just pretty damn funny uh, and, and, uh, and weird. You know, I mean, I mean, look, this, Again, you're never going to see a DC movie where the heroes or the the main character snorts up uh, cocaine and beats yeah, the hell out of people. There is a lot of crazy stuff in that movie that um, you know. I, I just I I'm I'm honest, honestly I'm really excited to see what James Gunn does in Suicide Squad too because he's also a guy that gets it. You know, oh, he yeah. loves he loves his superheroes. Very excited for that one. Yeah. Uh, you know, but I, like I said, there was a lot of people putting down the birds of prey and this and that. And I just said, you know, I, I, I don't have to have, everything doesn't have to be Aquaman, you know, <laughs> or black, or black Panther, you know, right. As a matter, as a matter of fact, like in a way, in a way, it's like each film, each character should have their own kind of vibe to it, you know? Uh, I, I don't think the Phantom Stranger, or I don't think uh, I don't think a Spectre movie should be anything like like a Superman movie, and I don't oh, think no. uh, I don't think Jonah Hex, even though don't blame me, um, but I don't, <laughs> like, I, I don't think uh, you know I look at these movies and I think they should have their own kind of vibe, you know, uh, kind of uh, to base on the character. And I, like I said, the Suicide Squad movie was different than Birds of Prey. Very, you know, yes. very, very different. And um, like it just and I got to tell you, Suicide Squad 2 will be nothing like Birds of Prey and or Suicide Squad 1. I you think know? that makes sense because like all the books have a different flavor to them and are meant to appeal to a different kind of fan. Yes. Right? So yeah. why shouldn't the movies? And I said that when we did our review show that I said, I just don't think this one was for me. <clears> you <throat> know, and that's not a bad I don't think that's a bad thing necessarily. No, I, I mean, I, there's a lot of. There's a lot of great movies that I go, yeah, but I, I, it's not my kind of movie, you know, mm-hmm. um, but but they're great. And, you know, it's funny down the line. Sometimes I see them and I'm like, oh, OK, that's better than I thought it would be. You know, you get surprised once in a while. You watch something and you're like, oh, I don't know if I like this kind of genre. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're tearing up and you're like, oh, Jesus. OK, yeah, this is pretty good. You know, I, I just I I actually also think. Because we're comic people, we walk in with with we have baggage we walk in with preconceptions. Right? Yeah. So we walk in and we like we hearing we want it to do well. We don't want it to do well. We don't like who was cast. We hate the director. Oh, why is a first time director doing this? And whoa, how are they going to screw it up? So we have baggage, right? 
And, but the, the gleeful part is, you know, the 24-year-old girl that loved Harley Quinn and, and, and Suicide Squad is going to see Birds of Prey because she loved Harley Quinn. So different different baggage, different things. You know, we're, we're real critical. We're hypercritical about our adaptations because we all know in the end the comic books are 100 times better than any <coughs> of these movies. So, you know, and it's hard to, and it's hard to let pe- the, for other people to understand that that the comics are always going to be better for these characters. You can have a great superhero movie. Right. But I'll I'll try to I'll, I'll find the books where I tell you, "Okay, that was good, but let me give you these books. These are better." Oh, yeah. You know. So we have we have that in, ingrained in our brain. That's that's why it's Maybe that's why they don't want comic people on the set so much. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I agree. It's, uh, though I think, you know, the other issue is we, we're starting to, not all of us, but some of us are starting to learn to let that go a little bit. A look at the it's movies good. as their own thing. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, let me tell you, I, I recommended Birds of Prey. To everyone I know, mm-hmm. and they and they've all seen it, and I would say ninety percent of them loved it. Ten percent had something to say. Well, you know, it's not for me because it's this and that. But uh, it's funny how people were surprised by it. They were like, "Oh, I didn't. I thought it was going to be this girly movie, but it was really violent." You know, they're almost upset it was really violent, or it was, you know, it was not, you know. Uh, one guy was saying, you know, oh, they're making the girls not look sexy or whatever, and I'm just like, I don't know how you could do that to those people, to those actresses. They they look unbelievable. Yeah. Um, so it was like really weird stuff people were bringing in to the Birds of Prey, and I think because right. it was a, a woman director and woman writers and female stars, I think there's a group of people out there that just hate that that exists, and I think they'll grow up one day and maybe check out the movie and enjoy it, you know. Hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. Maybe they'll be stuck inside the house for some reason and won't have a choice but to find something new to watch. There you go. Well, one day they'll be sitting with it and their daughter wants to watch it and they'll sit with them and watch it and, you know, not have baggage so much anymore. Look, Mm -hmm. I mean, let's be honest. Everybody could pick on either the best movie. You know, they could you plot the best movie. Somebody is out there going, I don't like that. That was stupid. You know, I've had that conversation about Interstellar. I loved Interstellar. And then someone told me, yeah, I, I just didn't connect with any of the characters. And I don't know. It just seemed long. And, and, and I'm like, okay, you know, what can you do? I'm not going to change your mind. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm just glad I really liked it. And I'm glad it was made. Uh, and that's at the end of the day, that's really all you can do. You know, I, I'm of the mind that things, all things shouldn't be liked by all people. Absolutely. Why, why do you think art exists? Art, right. You right. know, that's 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 the love of the, not everybody's going to like if everyone liked the same thing that if everyone ate the same thing and liked the same food, a supermarket would have 11 products. Right. Yeah. You know, you know I mean, <laughs> you know, there would be seven comic books. You know, it, it, it's we don't we, we don't. But we're but we're OK. We're also built. In a way that we find our little secret thing we like, and then when it becomes super popular, we get pissed off. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. and you know, to really, to really slow that down and look at it with some kind of integrity, it's kind of bizarre behavior. 
because you want people to like the same things you do. But when too many people like it, then you're like, oh, I don't like it. Or all of a sudden, I'll give you an example. Okay, I, I if you can't tell by the accent, I, I grew up in Brooklyn. No. 40, 45, <laughs> years, 45 years of my life. But when I, I see being... somebody... I, when I see somebody not from Brooklyn wearing a Brooklyn hat or shirt, I want to throw a bottle at them. You know? <laughs> I, know they, I know they never lived there. They're just wearing it. And then when I'm in L.A., there's a store that has just sells Brooklyn items in L.A. Oh. And I want to just drive my rent-a-car right through it, you know, <laughs> um, because I'm like, oh, what is this? It's like fake. This is like, this is fake. You're not, you're not from Brooklyn, you know. Um, it, it, it's just a funny, weird reaction. Um that I notice, and obviously I haven't driven a, a car through a window and I haven't really gotten upset at people so much. Um, but it's just something the way we're built. We're like protective of our things. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, this is deep guys. <laughs> <laughs> so you had mentioned, uh, um, the black label book, uh, yeah, that you're working on. Is there any other projects you're currently working on? Yeah, so I have a, a Kickstarter out now for a book called Pop Kill. Okay. has a, a week and a half left. Um, it's basically about compete, two competing soda companies and the spies they hire. Huh. Uh, it's pretty crazy, kind of fun, over the top, definitely adult. There's nudity, there's violence. Uh, that's a Kickstarter I got right now. And then um, let me look at my dash, what I'm working on. Uh yeah, I finished up some Wonder Woman stuff for the digital firsts, and uh, I got a couple. Of, yeah, I can't talk about that. I got something at Marvel. Really? Something, uh, maybe next year it'll come out. Um, okay. But uh, no, not, I'm not not too much. I actually been working on uh, a couple of my own projects. You know, finishing up the stuff I have for the companies because I want to make sure I get paid for them. Right. Uh, you know, before they start claiming that they have no money and stuff like that. Uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm hoping that's not the case. But, uh, I, you know, I come from, I grew up with no money, so I just think everything's going to fall apart at all times. Um, and it, it's probably caused me to be, uh, put, it, put it this way, when this coronavirus came, I already had every supply that everybody needed. <laughs> As a matter of fact, we were giving out those uh, those masks Right. Uh, because I had so many of them. It's because I live in Florida, so I, I have two giant cases of things in case there's uh, hurricanes, you know. Right. And that's pretty much cleaning fluids, all that kind of stuff, the gloves, the masks, all that stuff. I, I'm like a prepped guy because I just think everything's going to fall apart all the time. So it gives me this nice false sense of security to think I'm I'm actually – I have all the supplies for it, so I'll be ready for it. And, it, and it's false. You know, a tree branch will hit me in the head. You know that. I'll, I'll die from a tree branch. <laughs> and that's the end of that. But at least, at least, uh, yeah, it would make that noise too. And, uh, but at least I'm prepared. You know, I, there's the illusion of being prepared that, that's comforting. Did, didn't all of you guys go through that? Like, how much toilet paper do we have? Check, check, check the bathroom. You know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, no, I think we all go through that. Yeah. Um, Sorry about the noise. The four-year-old ran in and tackled the microphone. That's his job. <laughs> though, though, I'm pretty sure you're going to die by driving your car through the window of a store selling Brooklyn items. <laughs> no, I, I, you know, I, I wouldn't die. I wouldn't, I wouldn't let myself die. I'd have to get out of the car and take a few swings before I. Oh, okay. 
I don't care what was sticking through my heart. I would still get a couple of good shots. In. <laughs> <laughs> so, Connor, what's left on the bucket list? Is there yeah. anything that, that um, in the mainstream comic world that you haven't had a chance to work on yet that you still kind of have an itch to try? Uh, hmm. That's a tough one. Uh, you know, I... You know, I've been offered a lot of jobs where I am a person running things, and I've said no to them all in the past. Um, but I'd like to actually do that for a week and then quit. You know, I'd like to mess with the. It's like I'd like to be a pres- the president of the United States for a month, just for a month, and then they could everyone could yell me out of office. But I'd want to change things real quick. Um, I think in comics, I. I I'm with the Kickstarters. I'm kind of doing all this stuff that nobody asked me to do, and that's kind of fun. Um, you know, as far as superheroes, I, I I tell you the truth, I I still have a Power Girl story I want to do in me, and um, I I love the Fantastic Four. So I, it's one of the comics that I've had all the issues to the whole series. Okay. So I kind of I would like to write Fantastic Four, even if it's just twelve issues. You know. Because um, I always love the idea of a family of superheroes, you know. Uh, I, I love Johnny and Sue, and I love the the idea with him with Ben. I like the classic Fantastic Four stuff. Um, it's cause, probably because I grew up with it, and it reminded me you know, reminded me of my family. But there's not a lot like DC. I think the only thing I, I would love to do the Spectre. I like the idea of a, a vengeful superhero that just you know, he would turn you into the into wood and then cut you into you know cut you into a hundred pieces. Um, I, I like the crazy fantasy aspect of that. Um, and and Marvel, you know, I, I like the grounded characters. I've always loved the Punisher. I've always loved Birds of Prey. Uh, not Birds of Prey. I'm sorry. Uh, the uh, Daughters of the Dragon, which was another oh. uh, book, another book I wrote at at the Marvel. Yeah. A little while. I love I love those characters. I don't know why I like writing female characters. Um, for some reason, which is, I don't know why. I, I just, I've always done better with the female characters. I don't, I don't, uh, I don't know what that means. You click with it. What's that? You click with it. It makes sense. I do. Especially. I think it's, I, I spend more time with the women than anything. So I, I think just that's, I understand their motivations. You know, women let make it very clear what's on their mind at times. They, they want to tell you. Here's what here's what I'm thinking, and here's what I'm doing. Men kind of skid around things a little bit. They kind of, you know, there's there's uh, ego and there's you know macho and all that stuff gets in the way. But women are very much more in touch with with their, their feelings and things around them. And I, I just, oh, I, I, you know, I think it can, be, I can it can go the other way too. Oh yeah, any, <laughs> anything I say can be flipped the other way. Absolutely, Uh-oh. absolutely. <laughs> uh. And, and that's very telling about you. So tell me more. What, Uh-oh. Oh, no, no, no. Here, we, here we go. Here we go. No, no, I can't. I can't go into that. No. Let me preface by saying the women I know <laughs> and love. My, the women in my life have always been the strong, very strong people. You know, mm-hmm. and I think that's when I started writing like Painkiller Jane. I, I actually, you know, based her on someone and and. Uh, <clears throat> And it always been it's an easier it's easier for me to write the characters. It's hard, you know, guys. It's hard to write Superman, right? Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, and even Batman in a way because 
<coughs> Batman's in like a weird loop. You know, he he gets up, fights crime. Same guy he fought two months ago is out again. He's fighting him again. He's in a very big loop all the time. You know, so it's always a challenge for the writers on Batman to, to make it more interesting. Because how many times are we going to see a, a Joker story with Batman? Maybe four billion times before we die? Batman's very much Groundhog Day, very much. Yeah, Batman, you know, so it's hard to write characters that are like that. Like, you know, like even Flash, he runs fast. Okay? He runs fast. <laughs> you know, how many stories are you going to have where somebody runs faster? Uh, all of them. <laughs> all of them, yeah. I mean, I'd be more interested in making the Flash, like, like all of a sudden the post office changes the postage, and it's now $2, more, two cents more stamp, and Flash has to wait on that big line, you know, to get a stamp. So that's, <laughs> you know, but, I mean, you know, you know, these are characters that we've seen them so much. When, when Amanda and I were writing Wonder Woman, I kept thinking, what, what is it about Wonder Woman? Like, what can be interesting about her? And the first idea I had was, well, the idea that she's not going to die anytime soon, but everybody around her can and will, mm. you know, and how does she process that? Like, how does, does she, is, does she have, like, does she, is she very a present, is she a very present character and lives in the moment, you know, um, with each person she's with because she knows they're going to go, you know, all that kind of stuff. So it, you know, deep diving into characters is what makes it interesting. So if I can do that with a new character, I always find that interesting. But as far as my bucket list, I have more bucket lists of like what artists I'd like to work with. And, and you know, that's because when you're when you're writing, you have your dream artists. And, right. uh, you know, most of mine are dead. Uh, but I did get to work with a couple that were my dream artists, which was Darwin Cook was one of them. He was you know, I, I got to work with Darwin like four or five times. And, uh, and each time he's just, he's just amazing. He was amazing. You know, the guy was just an amazing storyteller. Um, so that's what writers, are, you know, the characters are great, but I think a lot of time you want to work with talent. I love, you know, I would have loved to write for Mobius. Like, you know, somebody tells you, Hey, you're going to work with Mobius right away. Your brain goes to some Mobius type story. Right. Yeah. You know, you're not, you're not, you're not going to write, uh, uh, you know, uh, Archie comics for Mobius. You know? <laughs> Um, so a lot of times the artists uh, define what you want to do in a way. Who's someone that you haven't had a chance to work with that you'd like to artist wise? Uh, alive, still alive. alive yeah, but still um, alive. <laughs> um, I'd love to write for John Romita Jr. because I like his storytelling. Um, I like to write with Greg Capullo just so we can hang out and bullshit at night. And uh, <laughs> um, there's guys like that are amazing, like Lee Weeks is an amazing artist. Um, yeah. You know, um, I'd like to write for the, I'd like to write a, a, an issue of love and rockets for the Hernandez brothers, oh. you know, and work with those guys. They're, they're, they're just so interesting to me. Um, I'm looking around the room at the art on my walls. I'd like to, <laughs> I'd like to write a, a painkiller Jane story for Milo Manara. Oh, okay. You know, um, but I can never afford him, And he's just, you know, that's <laughs> He's one of my favorite artists. Um, uh, yeah, so stuff like that. I like. I like to. Uh, I'd like to write an adult line of DC and Marvel characters. You know, where where right. was no shame, no shame. I'm gonna just go full on madness. Full on Deadpool. <laughs> yeah, even even more than Deadpool. More, you know, uh, uh-huh. just you know what I mean. Like different, different. Adult. When we say adult, it means different things, right? right. Mm. So. Um, 
So, uh, what's what's a piece of advice that you give someone new that wants to make their way in comics? Uh, well, I, t- I tell them they, uh, I, you mean as a writer or an artist or just general? Or? Just in general. Well, I'm okay. We'll say a writer since. Okay, so a writer. I always say this couple of things, and then I said it earlier. Fall in love, get your heart broken, travel the world, have adventures, take risks, take notes. And then get down and start writing. Um, again, you can't, you can't write, you know, sure, you can write about Mars and you can write about another galaxy and everything, mm-hmm. but you'll lose the reader if there isn't something they can't, they can't relate to in the first couple of pages. So, um, you know, get in touch, go to a therapist for a while. That's fun. Now, which, which one of the writers is it? Dave or John or JD? JD. JD. Yeah. So JD, what kind of stuff do you write? I write prose. I'm a uh, uh, supernatural thriller stuff. Oh, okay, okay. Have you ever gone to therapy? Uh, yes, I have actually. After my mom died in college, I went to therapy for about a year. All right, and that was great because you were processing, right, and uh, mm-hmm. yeah, do, doing some deep dives, right? And, Absolutely. And, and did you do you think it helped your writing? You know, I never thought about it until you just mentioned it, but absolutely, just the ability to sit and talk about what you're really thinking and feeling, and it helps you express it. Because a lot of people have a hard time doing that. Like, like you, like you said before, like you talk about spaceships and stuff like that, but if you can't talk about what the people inside it are thinking and feeling and create a scenario that's relatable to a reader, what are you really doing? Right. So I, I yeah, I, I get that. Like working out my, uh, like I got my brother was picking on me the other day that. Like in my in my books, like it always lost parent tends to come up a lot, and that's right. a big thing I had to I had to work on uh, to stay sane. So I mean, it just it tends to show up in my stuff I, subconsciously sometimes. Right, so, but 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 you're also processing when you write. No, absolutely, absolutely, you know? you're working through your stuff. Right, and and the, the you know the 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 thing for a writer is to slow things down, right. Mm-hmm. So let's let's take a look at what happened. You know, you guys all all of us feel this way. You wake up certain, some days and you're anxious and you don't know why. Oh yeah, right. But then mm-hmm. we just push through the day. But a writer, what it does is slow it. It slows it down and looks at it and says, why why am I anxious and mm-hmm. why why am I feeling like this? What is it? What is causing this? And and uh, so and, and then you know. Like slowing things down and then, of course, looking things through your lens. So each of you guys has a different lens. You look at the world, you look at art, you see different things. And, and, but you find things in common and that's why the three of you guys are friends because you find things you love in common. Right. But you each have a very distinctive lens of looking at things and I guarantee different favorite foods and all that kind of stuff. And that's, that's the, that's, I always say for writers, like therapy is great to get in touch with things because empathy is, is, is a, there's a, um, people say they understand empathy or they have empathy, but they really don't understand what empathy is. And empathy is like the, one of the keys to writing, you know, empathy is not a person says, Hey, you know, I, I fell down the stairs and broke my leg. Empathy is not, well, at least you didn't break both your legs. That's not <laughs> empathy. Right. You know, yeah. empathy is, Oh my God, that must have been really hard. How you know? How are you dealing with it? That's empathy. Wasn't well, the the whole point of of empathy is that you can put yourself in somebody else's shoes, meaning your character, yes. right? And, and then yeah, and then you can show basically show the world through their lens, like right. create new lenses. Absolutely, and and with writing, you have to do 
you have to be a bunch of different people. You know, everybody can't react like you. Yeah. And that's that's how I can always tell when somebody's starting is when every all the characters are all being tough or they're all being. And I'm like, yeah, it's not interesting. You know, it's not interesting anymore if we don't have different voices. And, every, you know, so it, it's just an interesting thing. But like I said, that's part of what I tell people is just they really need to get in touch with who they are and why they're writing. And, you know, it, it comes down to slowing things down. You have to really take a good look. Why do you love comics more than something else? You know, is it because when I read a comic, it's I can actually turn the page. It's my own pace. I can read a, a movie. I have to watch it. And they're deciding my pace. But a comic has my own pace. I can do it. You know, what is it? Why is it you love the thing, the things you love? And you'd be surprised. Um, that's what makes I always say that's what makes a better artist and a better writer. Hmm. Yeah. I do not disagree with that. Um, I'm all right. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I we're at, we're at an hour. So the okay, the question that we normally wrap up on is, how do you measure success? Hmm. I think I measure success if I'm happy. Uh, um, if I if I'm if I'm at peace with something I did, if I like it, um, I don't think fame, I don't think money, I don't think that stuff. I think for me, it's if I feel a personal satisfaction uh, for doing something, that's success for me. How other people measure success is different. Um, but if I'm able to do my own thing, like the Kickstarters, let's say, and people back me, that's like the best, you know, that's like, that's a gift. You know, that's, that's. That means I'm being successful. And this is my 13th one, right? So that's that's a good sign of success, endurance. Um, you know, I look at Harley and I said we have success in that because we influenced uh, not only the character but the multimedia and, you know, toys and games and all that kind of crap. Um, so, yeah, so there's different levels. Uh, you know, everybody's for, – for me, it's that I'm able to keep continue doing what I'm doing. That's That's my measurement of success. Cool, good answer. I, and and you're right. Everyone answers it differently. And yeah, um, we've had people come on and then come back on like a year or two late, years later and have a completely different answer as well. So yeah, I, I think we're I think we we're growing and learning, and then we die. Yeah, that's so, true. Uh, yeah. <laughs> such <laughs> such know. a happy outlook. Well, <laughs> I, I always say you got to stay in the moment. Right now, I'm here with you guys. We're having fun. We're talking about comics and stuff and. I'm very present with it. I, I, you know, if I'm going to worry about what's going to happen in three weeks with coronavirus, it's it's going to take me out of this conversation. Right. And, and you guys don't deserve that because we don't talk very often. So, you know, you deserve my full attention and for me to be present. So that it, it's it's important that everybody has to do that because worrying about things that might or might not happen doesn't make them happen quicker and doesn't change them. Exactly. So it's, a waste, so it's a waste of time. <laughs> yep. That's actually something my wife used to say all the time. So there you go. Yep. So, okay. So you mentioned the Kickstarters. Uh, where's the best place for people to find you online and uh, oh. find all that information? So you can go to my Twitter account, which is under my name. It's Jay Palmiotti. Um, and there's a link for the Kickstarter in my bio. 
I'm also on Instagram under my name as well, Jimmy Palmiati. You can find me pretty easily. Um, and that's it. Those are the two. I'm not on Facebook. I'm not on any of that stuff. Um, I, you know, um, but that's where you can find me. And then I have a, a website called Paper Films. It's paperfilms.com. And I sell my books and my digital books and copies and autographs and art and all that kind of stuff. Everything I have, that website, me and Amanda sell all our stuff. So when you when you buy from there, you're buying. We're packing it ourselves and sending it out. So cool. Yeah, no middleman. Right. That's the best way to do way it, to man. Do it. <laughs> yes, sir. Yeah. Well, you know, you know, most of the time. All right. Well, if if my co-hosts don't have anything to add. I think uh, we can put a pin in it this week. Uh, All right. So, so thank you very much for joining us. Yeah, My pleasure, guys. Thank you. And as always, boys and girls, thanks for listening. Don't let your cape get caught in the door. Have a good week. <laughs>